0: and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. I'm Rudy Falla, the founder of Voice of Fintech podcast, and this episode is hosted by Sarah Pambush.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Voice of Fintech podcast. Today, I'll be interviewing Ava Scham, who has written a book called The Secret of Silicon Valley with a colleague, Riba Vechamans, Who is a serial entrepreneur. Ava is a journalist who's been living abroad in Silicon Valley for many years and she had an interest in online journalism and innovation and the impact of technology on our society. She's here today to talk about the book and um, welcome Ava. Thank you for having me. So let's um, start uh, from the beginning. Um, Maybe you can tell me a little bit about why you wanted to write this book.
2: I've been in in uh, on the in California on the West Coast for almost five years now, and I've been writing for many Dutch and Belgian news media about Silicon Valley and tech and innovation. And so I I thought about a while, like everything I've learned here, I'd like to put it in a book. But you know how those things go; you're always kind of busy with stuff, so I'd never you never really get around to those things. Um, but last summer, Viva actually contacted me through LinkedIn, and we hadn't met before, and he uh, he said, "Hey, I, I'm." planning to write a book and I could use some help. Do you want to do this together? And I got, got sold on his idea pretty quickly. So we we started work and, and within three months, we had the book done. So that was pretty, um pretty cool.
1: Oh, my gosh, that's extremely fast.
2: <laughs> yes. I um, mean, it was cra- a crazy time. I also moved in that in that time frame and I had to evacuate for a wildfire. So it was quite the three months, but uh, yeah, it's just the, the enthusiasm for, of doing this together and like inspiring each other really worked well for us. So
1: yeah, that, um, that sounds like you must've worked very well together to be able to get that done so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I didn't ask what actually brought you to the valley in the first place.
2: I wanted to live in the U.S. for a while as a U.S. correspondent. And um, I had toyed with that idea for over a year and on my 27th birthday I was like what do I want out of life what if I die tomorrow what would I have wanted to do and I was like I kind of want to live in the states for a while um so I started working on a plan and I um uh, because most dutch correspondents are on the east coast I figured the west coast was a more um you know had more potential for me because there's little or there were not that many stories from the west coast in dutch media so I I started to focus on that and um that's what I've been working on for the past five years okay and um was
1: technology and innovation was always something you were interested in so so is that sort of
2: one of the reasons that you wanted to write this book yeah yeah I mean I will say that back home I didn't uh, in my work I didn't focus on it too much it, that really started to grow more when I came here but it was all yeah I was always interested in in how does how innovation and how new technologies influence us us as a society right on a, on a societal level so but i really I really got going with it when I came to the valley so mm-hmm.
1: and so um uh, tell me tell me a little bit about because uh, my questions are a bit in a different order, but I feel like it's more natural to ask you this question since since probably you got more involved in the tech scene mm-hmm. um, based on the fact that you were in the valley so how did that affect sort of your networking, your social life? Tell me a little bit more about that aspect of living in the Valley.
2: Uh, well, I will say, since I, I still consider myself a bit of an outsider as a reporter, because I'm always looking, I'm on the outside looking in the tech. I don't work, work in tech. I'm not coding anything. I'm not working on any startup, but it's basically, basically everyone you meet. I started networking not just for work, but also to get a personal, your social life, right? I came here all on my, all by myself, so I needed to make some friends. And, and when you live in San Francisco, or I lived in Oakland, um, mm-hmm. you you through any social activity you do, you'll probably meet a few people who work in tech. And so, in the book, we actually describe our both our networking journeys. And for me, the social and professional was really intertwined all along. So. I meet people, I met people at a happy hour that work at Google or at Salesforce or at Uber or, and we talk the. I mean, we talk socially about what's going on, what's interest, what interests me, what interests you. And, and that way you learn more about what's happening in Silicon Valley. And then apart from that, obviously, I'll, I'll look up people I, I want to interview for my stories uh, online or at networking events. So yeah, it, yeah, social and professional really was intertwined for me.
1: Mm-hmm. And is that different than how it is when you're living in in the Netherlands in terms of yeah uh,
2: yeah i I do think so because but that's also because I grew up in the Netherlands probably, and i had a I already had a big social network, right, and you meet some people here and there, sometimes you meet people professionally and you become friends, but I think part of I don't know if it's a cultural difference, it might be, but it was also just a personal difference because in the Netherlands, I already had a whole social network, so I wasn't actively building that um, anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I would say coming from the U.S. to here to the mm-hmm. Netherlands, where I now live, I see it sort of the networking is done differently, and it does mm-hmm. de- very much depend on sort of your yard club, your yeah. uh, sorority, <laughs> yeah. your fraternity, which also exists in the U.S. I would say, but I I think yeah. the valley I think the valley is also really unique in terms of that the networking and the business company startup. Uh, ecosystem is all kind of intertwined. Mm-hmm. So I would say that it, in my experience, that it is unique for the U.S. as well in terms of networking. Mm-hmm. So I can and 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 in terms of my experience in Europe. So that's interesting and, and you,
2: and you guys exactly yeah. the other way around uh, as me, right? You grew up here and you you moved to the Netherlands. So it's an interesting take. I, I you're right. Like uh, in the Netherlands, a lot goes by, but I think that's true here too. Like who you met when you were in college, right? Your college friends and your, exactly, yeah. yeah. And there in the Valley, it's Berkeley,
1: Stanford, right? You know, I mean, yeah. you're one or the other, and they're very different schools.
2: Right. Yeah. But I
1: was going to mention, because in the book, um, you talk about uh, the experience of Pete and Anthony, and mm-hmm. it, they, they were, I guess, Delft entrepreneurs, and they had a, a an experience that was sort of unique in terms of what we were just talking about, how this, how it was mm-hmm. different, the networking in, in the Valley. Can you talk more um, yeah. about that?
2: Pete and Anthony is actually, are actually the names of their angel investors. The boys are called Rick and uh, uh, Rick and Yannick, Yannick. Um, yeah, so they actually—that was interesting. I wrote a story about them in the uh, in the uh, uh, Financiële Dagblad. Beginning of this year, I think they were work. They're Delft students, and they were working on. Or uh, Rick was working on something. Um, just for fun really like and he put posted it on github um the platform for um for programmers they post their projects and um he got emails from venture capitalists from the valley so he started thinking like hey that's there might actually be something here there might be a company here and then he asked his friend Yannick and they um got together and started working on a prototype and so through those Contacts that reached out to them, they actually got two angel investors um, called Pete and Anthony, who were they're in the data science field, and Pete and Anthony are both pretty big in that field. And they went to the Valley, and Pete and Anthony introduced them to a bunch of angel investors and venture capitalists, and that's how they raised uh, half a million dollars for as uh, seed money. And they're working on their uh, on their company now. That was the beginning of this year. So it's an interesting way of of, of online networking, really, and and. We've actually, my co-author Viva and I have been talking a lot about how while the pandemic is is affecting a lot of business and it's, it's a bad situation, it also offers some opportunities if you're looking for a connection to the Valley, but you're not in the Valley. everything is online now. I haven't met people face-to-face for work since March. So everyone's getting used to getting to know each other online, making deals online. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there.
1: And um, that's really interesting. And so what was the actual uh, technology or company that they were working on? Just Their
2: time? startup is called uh, Orcast, and they do uh, – they make – I don't know details exactly anymore, but they do a, a sort of um, platform for data scientists Okay, um, that they can share their projects on. and, and apparently. So I'm not really all that – like I'm not a technical person – um, so I don't know the details, but it has to do with a, a platform for data scientists to share work. Uh-huh.
1: Okay. That's, that's really interesting.
2: So this book was really
1: written to kind of um, in my estimation, to kind of give people in Europe a, a look into how, because the idea is that there is no Silicon Valley in Europe yet. There are people mm-hmm. trying and there's all these different, you know, I think in the two thousands when I was covering technology there were a lot of countries um, trying to recreate this sort of magical place. Um, and so mm-hmm. I would like you to sort of get to the meat of this book and, and explain what were some of the lessons that you are trying to impart, key mm-hmm. lessons that you're trying to impart to Europe, especially European um, startups and and scale ups, et cetera, um, and how they can possibly touch a little bit of, of what happens there in the valley.
2: Right yeah so we actually we feel like we have a pretty we aimed at a pretty broad audience and first and foremost it's startups and entrepreneurs and what they can learn from the valley i think is a few key cultural aspects one of which is the pay it forward principle in which you um to help grow the ecosystem you help others who who come to you for help without asking anything in return or thinking mm-hmm there's something in it for you. So that, that, and that's pretty low key. It's usually like introducing someone to someone else, helping make connections. And, and that way you're like enriching the ecosystem and that in, in time that will benefit yourself again, but there's no like direct payback. Um, so it's a really pay it forward you're, um, That's one of the key principles we think in Silicon Valley. And then, then the book is called the secret of Silicon Valley As if there's one Secret that we're telling you, and if, if we have to choose one, it's the networking that we discussed already. But really, the open culture in which you could even go have coffee with your competitor to talk things over, uh, because you're both working on maybe the same general idea, but you're going to execute differently. So you can learn from each other in in that sense. And that's so that's the startup level that we were really hoping that, like, if we're talking about the Dutch ecosystem, that they'll. Startups and entrepreneurs in that ecosystem um, work together more, talk to each other more. Instead of, we get the sense it's a lot of little islands. So Eindhoven might be a little hub and Amsterdam has a little hub, but they don't really interact much. And there's so much to be gained from getting to know each other and learning from each other instead of like building a wall and, and trying to protect what you are doing. Because that's not the real risk, right? The real risk is not someone stealing your idea. The risk is that you don't execute well, and you can get some help by talking to others about it. Um, and then we, we go into some lessons for the other players in the ecosystem, like universities and the government, about, you know, really stimulating entrepreneurship and startups by changing some tax laws or or investing way more money into it. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty beefy book in that sense. There's a lot of information in it. Yeah,
1: that That is a real hang up here is the tax situation, but also mm-hmm. the lack of venture capitalists. And in the book, you mentioned mm-hmm. that venture capital is very unique to the US mm-hmm. in many ways, because, well, for a variety of reasons, can you touch on some of those? Why venture capital hasn't taken taken on, take it off here, or angel investing even starting that far? And and just explain a little bit of how you think that maybe either it's necessary, it's not necessary, or or how you can maybe use what's already here to recreate What's going on there? You know, maybe it's right. not necessary to have venture capital. Up.
2: Well, so, yeah, we actually we we do think venture capital is is a cornerstone for um, the success of S- Silicon Valley startups. Right. And they and they do favor a certain kind of startup, you know, that's looking for uh, really big uh, accelerated growth. And if you take on venture capital, obviously, you're, you're going to have to get an exit at some point because your investors want their money back, but their money back. The reason I think the, the venture capital industry in the U.S. is just much, much older than in Europe, so of course Europe lags behind a little bit. But we show we have some data from PitchBook in the book, in our book, that shows that while venture capital worldwide has grown enormously in the ten years, the market share of Europe and the Netherlands has barely moved. So in in absolute numbers, Europe is investing more venture capital now than ten years ago, but so is Silicon Valley and so is China. China really is making um, progress in that sense. so they're they're pumping money into everything, uh, including venture capital. So, the prob- What we say is that the- Europe needs to get more serious about venture capital, and the government can play a role in that by helping to, or co-investing in startups, helping to take away a little bit of risk from the venture capitalists. They could also stimulate, this is especially true for the Netherlands, there's huge pension funds in the Netherlands that have tons of capital. So it's not like there's no capital in the Netherlands, there's just not a lot of venture capital. And it would be good if, like for instance, institutional investors like pension funds put a little bit more capital into this, into venture capital as an asset uh, class, and help grow the startup ecosystem that way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 to that, and that that's one of the areas um, that you talk about that that helps create the valley as it is, is this venture mm-hmm. capital trend. and um, But the other thing is um, the university itself, because there is really, like you also speak to this, I think Reba speaks to it more because he has kids that are in the system now mm-hmm. in the US, but, the, but how different universities, especially private universities are in the US to, to Dutch mm-hmm. universities. Maybe you can speak a little bit about because I, I think this was really interesting for our European listeners. Uh, Stanford mm-hmm. as an ecosystem and as a microcosm of the Silicon Valley itself. I mean, without Stanford, Silicon Valley probably would have never become what it is. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe you can speak to some of the reasons um, why. What 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 you see as a, as an outsider
2: coming in? Right. So Stanford is really interesting because it's known like I forgot the exact percentages, but their alumni bring forth more entrepreneurs or tech entrepreneurs than like any other or not any other, but most universities. And they get those, those that small percentage puts out like huge revenues because Google, obviously Google is part of it, put huge revenues, um, hires millions of people. They're publicly traded companies. And part, so that's why we really wanted to look at Stanford, right? Like what makes that place different? and it's it's i think they combine they do top-notch academic research like it's it's not like stanford's all about about business but they they translate that into business savvy too and they train their students or they teach their students that both things academic uh, the academic way of uh thinking and an academic approach but also how does this translate into business how can we um um transform an academic idea into a, business, a successful business um and and we talk about in our book things that dutch universities or european universities can learn from that is to really so one reason is stanford is extremely selective right they get they only take on 2000 freshmen each year i think and while we are proud dutch academics are like the dutch academic landscape is good there's good education there and for the curriculum, it's not, I don't think it's even that much off of what Stanford does, but the way they put their students together in teams, like um, they really emphasize that networking aspect that we discussed already. Like you need to do this together socially, but also professionally. And that, that's why uh, like a Stanford alumnus will, I was told by one of, one of them, has no qualms reaching out to anyone who ever went to Stanford to ask for help because they know they have that in common and they're kind of like part of that same group. Um, and I think that, that networking aspect and that business aspect is something Dutch universities could try to implement more in their curriculums and and teach their students more. Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, I think also Stanford, because they were saying, I I read in the book that, you you know, as you talk about the history of of Mm -hmm. Stanford and the beginning of, Mm-hmm. You know, uh, basically the internet, et cetera, um, mm-hmm. was 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 taken. You know, they allowed the the private sector to get involved, and and I think that there's a real. My sense is that in Europe there's a real split there. There's a real division there um, between. I mean, I, I see small. I see at uh, like for example at Delft, the techn- technological mm-hmm. university and um, technical university. Sorry and. And to a certain extent at uh, Erasmus, you know, I see some mm-hmm. attempts, but wouldn't it be great if like Erasmus and Delft got together more yep. often, because you've got the business side, you know, really great top notch business school, and mm-hmm. you've got and you've got these great uh, scientists and these great entrepreneur types. Exactly. Um, yep. And I think that's sort of in my opinion, that's sort of what Stanford seems to me is like a combination of those two. And uh, I think it's just a mindset in in a way. Yep. It's a, a- and so I
2: like, star- actually started off as um, I forgot his name, but one of the Founders of Stanford, they, the idea of Stanford was also to really help establish a business like a, a business um, region on the West Coast, right? That wasn't Los Angeles. So because in the US, the East Coast is is known as the or was always known as the finan- or is the financial yes. heart of the country, of course. But the West Coast wanted to to get in on some of the, the business aspects of it uh, a century ago. So. That's really what Stanford tried to foster. And so, yeah, historically, it's part of their DNA, I think, to both do really good academic research, but also translate that into uh, into a business savvy um, alumni, at least. And so looking ahead, you know,
1: looking at what's going on right now economically and politically, mm-hmm. um, how, how are... When you and Weeva were writing the book, were you looking? I mean, I'm not sure how current the timing was of this book, but but looking at the situation right now, I mean, we're having a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you look at China, like you mentioned in the book, China has is probably one of the biggest um, competitors right now when it comes to, like you said, venture capital and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, so, wh- how do you can, have you thought about that? And and can you give us a little bit of insight into how you see possibly Europe playing a role there, or how that's going to affect European innovation and financing?
2: yeah i mean china is is going full steam ahead and so if if europe doesn't get their act together is for venture capital so that we we looked at venture capital because it's the best proxy we think for innovation it's hard to measure innovation in any other way and and the way china is is um progressing they're outpacing europe and it's not like innovation is a zero sum game, right? Like so if China has a lot of innovative startups, it doesn't mean there couldn't be innovative startups in Europe as well. It's not zero sum that way. The, the, we say we, you can make a bigger cake so everyone has a bigger piece. But China is going so fast that Europe can't keep up right now and needs like that that difference between the two is becoming bigger and bigger. So that's an issue we think that Europe should get ahead of by investing more, by governments putting way more money up for, uh, you know, seed money, because yeah, China, China is, is definitely a threat to Europe. It's even a, a bit of a threat to Silicon Valley, right? And p- part of what plays into that is that China doesn't really abide by the rules of, you know, Apple's App Store rules or or any of that, uh, and they they close their borders for American companies. But that doesn't mean that they're also not. They're also still investing a lot of money, um, and then with the pandemic, it's it's a bit of an opportunity as well because in the so uh, a a Berkeley professor named uh, Professor Saxenian has done a lot of research on ecosystems. She says the most successful ecosystems and startups have some sort of link to Silicon Valley, uh, be it an advisor or an investor or just you know a network there. And I think the pandemic actually offers opportunity for that as far as venture capital goes in the in the pandemic uh it's been on track with years previous so while the first six months looked like venture capital was drying up a bit in silicon valley the second half really um made up for it so there hasn't been a dip in venture capital because of the pandemic or anything Mm
1: -hmm. so looking at uh, you know i mean a lot of people in especially in the netherlands are are looking at your book right now and Mm -hmm. Saying you know these are things we need to follow. So, what would you? What are the what are the top things you think uh, are important for for Europe in terms of really trying to recreate a Silicon Valley um, that they've been trying for a long time? I mean, in your estimation, what what are the things that really they should pursue hardcore?
2: Um, So, we always say don't recreate, but get inspired because you want to keep your own culture. There's problems in the valley too that you don't want to import, right? Like the lack of diversity, the inequality. Uh, monopolies by companies like Facebook and, and Google. Um, but in general, I think culturally, and that's hard to change, but culturally that open sharing culture and the, in the pay forward principle would be very beneficial and then tax wise, the, or it, right, right now it's really hard, at least in the Netherlands, I don't know about other European countries to give your employees some share options because it's taxed, really, uh, unfortunately. So the government has a role in in, in correcting that to become more competitive uh, with other regions. And that way, you know, Amsterdam or Amsterdam companies or Frankfurt or whatever can attract more international talent too because they can get the same rewards as they would get in the Valley or in the U.S. And then financially, like Germany just announced two months ago that they're going to invest $10 billion in startups over the next 10 years. And I think the Netherlands announced like 150 million or something in that realm. Um, we think it should be more what like what Germany is doing instead of what the Dutch government is doing. So more in the order of ten billion than in ten million. Well, I know the Netherlands benefits a lot um in some tax base. That's
1: why people like Amazon, et cetera, have their European mm-hmm. headquarters based here.
2: Right.
1: Um, so there are there are certain things that are attractive. To, plus the language, I think that's also something that helps. Yeah. that The Dutch are so multilingual, um, in terms of cooperating with other countries.
2: Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of tax advantages for bigger companies, but for startups, the the way share options are taxed for people for individuals, mm-hmm. that's it's a, a little uh, prohibitive indif- for them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Makes it unattractive. Yeah. yeah. I think I've, I've gotten through all of the questions I had or is there anything else you wanted to, to mention? No,
2: I hope, uh, I hope people get inspired, are interested in reading the book the, the, or one thing I'll say is that we, we give a lot of, it's a, uh, information rich book. There's a lot in there. Um, but the main, for me, the main thing of it is to inspire people to, to take the plunge, to try something they've always wanted to try. And, and, you know, you can calculate the r- risk, you can figure out ways to do it but do it. Don't, don't look back later in life and regret the things you didn't do, but regret the things you did do. Um, that's something I try to live by. And I, I hope that book, our book inspires that, that sense of adventure in people. And, and where can they, because the book is available oh. in Dutch and in English, and where can yes. they buy the English, uh, the Dutch versions? So the Dutch version is available in all bookstores that might be closed right now, but hopefully it'll still be around um, when the lockdown is lifted. And online on Bol.com, for instance. And then the English version is available on Amazon, both and- e-books and paperbacks.
1: Okay, and Amazon UK and Amazon.com, right? Both.
2: Yeah, technically it's Amazon NL, but okay. it's available on all uh, extensions. Okay, super. All right. Thanks so
1: much, Ava, for talking to me today. Thanks, Sarah, for taking and the best time. Of, best of luck with your book. Yeah, Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.